0: Hello there, and welcome to Apocalypse Cow's Bandcast for the month of May. I'm your host, Dan Jeremy Brooks, and as you probably know, because, well, you, this probably isn't the first one you've heard. Anyway, I uh, just wanted to say hey there, and happy Cinco de Mayo to all you guys. Although, um, I'm actually more excited about tomorrow, the uh, Cisse de Mayo, or mm, my Spanish is a little rusty. But anyway... 6th of May, 40 years ago, um, our brothers and sisters in France, uh, largely students, were protesting against the Vietnam War at the time, which they felt the uh, the French government had not done enough to distance themselves from. And of course, you know, the French did sort of get us into the mess of Vietnam in the first place. But anyway, so the students, uh, I think quite rightly, um, were protesting and eventually were uh, attacked and beaten by the uh, French police. And this led to what ended up being coming known as May of 1968, and that was a huge month in which something like 100,000 French workers, not just students, but just workers, in a show of solidarity struck, uh, or they were striking, if you will, and uh, damn near brought the uh, French government to its knees. And uh, so that's uh, that was 40 years ago tomorrow is when that began. So happy uh, birthday to all uh, friends and lovers of liberty. <laughs> um okay, uh first of all, thank you so much for all the things that everybody has said in the last month about the uh last two podcasts. Um uh, obviously there was the the usual podcast at the beginning of last month, and then there was the Uh, Blogcast, or whatever you want to call it Or Taxcast, as uh, (laughs) The great hoo-ha of St. Paul, Minnesota Mentioned Um, So thank you so much for all the kind words The emails, the phone calls The postcards, the telexes The faxes, well maybe not the last two But anyway, thank you for that And On that subject, um, I got a really interesting letter from Gary Landis, who um, uh, we communicate back and forth with quite a bit. And uh, he had written me and said that uh, he had suggested that I I begin the next podcast by talking a little bit about uh, the situation we have with uh, the election. Uh, Obviously, right now, Hillary and uh, Senator Obama are still duking it out, although it does seem to be that um, Obama is looking to be the winner here pretty soon. So now, I don't make any uh, claim to be impartial. I love Senator Obama. I have from the beginning. But I think it's important, and this is something that Gary mentioned to me, and I'm going to pass this along because it's so essential um, to, to just well, just frankly, to our entire democracy, um, is that whoever gets the Democratic nomination, we should really be sure to pledge now here that we know we're going to vote for a Democratic candidate. I don't care if it's Hillary or Senator Obama because in either case they are going to be loads better than, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. McCrazy. I mean, we all know that guy is absolutely a nut job. I mean, we know this. This is very clear. Anybody who needs more information just email me and I'll, I'll send you some information. Anyway... So whatever happens, I mean, you know, people have made it out as if this campaign has been this really ugly debacle, but it, it really hasn't been that bad. I mean, compared to the Republican primaries they have, This is nothing. On a scale of one to ten, this is like a two uh, compared to their, you know, business as usual uh, mud wrestling matches that they have. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys watched any of the Republican debates, but I'll tell you what, man, it looked like Giuliani and Romney were about to go fisticuffs any moment. So, I mean, it was like the gorgeous ladies of wrestling mud wrestling competition, you know, but without hot chicks, obviously. Unfortunately. um, So uh, so when people tell me, well, Obama, you know, he's playing dirty tricks. Well, first of all, he hasn't. But I mean, or, you know, Hillary, she's doing this or that. Well, you know, it's really not that bad. I mean, it's not like Obama called Hillary a cunt or anything like that, and, which, of course, you know, McCain did when he I mean, he called his wife that, you know, just a few years ago. Around two reporters, mind you With cameras running And nobody ever reported that But hey, well, you know, he's just McCrazy I mean, ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> that kooky McCrazy, he didn't mean it It had been a long day, you know I'm sure he won't have any long days when he's president So, anyway, um, so uh, really, people... Put aside the differences. I understand. I am excited. We are all excited by this unbelievably great crop of candidates that we've had. I mean, we are, this is a historic, exciting time to be alive. So let's not pull defeat from the jaws of victory here. Let's make sure that no matter what happens, let's do what Senator Clinton said, which is if Senator Obama gets the nomination, she will be out there working her fingers to the bone. Campaigning and stumping for him Let's all say now we're going to do that So, thank you Gary for mentioning that I think you are absolutely right Even though Gary is a Hillary supporter Anyway, okay, sorry No, but seriously though, Gary is absolutely right And I think we're going to be great Whether it's Senator Obama Or Hillary Hussein Clinton (laughs) Oh, sorry, that's actually not a middle name Uh, Actually, her her maiden name is rodham that's what I' meant to say Hillary Rodham Clinton. Sorry about that anyway, now, I just want to quickly address something else too i, I know I, I think a lot of people don 't want to admit to this uh but I, I, but i I think we we really need to if we 're going to get past this as a, as a country I think we need to admit to the fact that there is a certain amount of racism um to arguments against obama and i 'm going to tell you why i mean i it's it's because he 's not entirely one uh, race, you know? I mean, for it's you know, he's, half of his race is a group of people, you know, I know they're traditionally considered good dancers, excellent rhythm, uh, naturally musical, maybe they drink too much, all those things. I mean, but really, people, it's time to get past this racism for the Irish. I mean, come on. It, this is ridiculous. I mean, haven't we learned enough from from all the years of prejudice, from, you know, the potato famine, from the no Irish need apply, from, uh, from the fear that JFK was going to take his orders directly from the church? I mean, this is ridiculous. It is time to move on, people. Let's just get past these ugly prejudices. Okay, I feel better getting that off my chest. <laughs> uh, but seriously, though, um, as you guys have probably noticed, uh, the last few podcasts I've done have been a bit more... Um, polemic, I guess. A um, lot more political in, in in content and theme and, and such like. And I, I think some of that just has to do with the times we live in. I think, um, you know, this is probably going to be the most important election that any of us are going to see, at least on the presidential scale, uh, within our lifetime. So, it's a big deal. And um, as I said, I'm a big, you know, Senator Obama supporter. But um, I feel like the subject of this podcast should be about... Um, religion and politics, and how they mingle, and and how I feel that maybe they should be extracted from each other a bit more. Um, It seems like the media is just kind of going crazy excited about uh, people's churches and uh, their religions, and I've been hearing every sort of thing, uh, a lot of lies, unfortunately, a lot of misinformation um, about, oh, who belongs to what faith, and, um, you know, uh, the built-in fear and racism that are, of course, implied um, that certain news outlets, of course, prey upon. So a guy like my grandpa's is watching Fox News, and they're like, oh, Senator Obama belonged to a madrasa when he was a child. And, you know, my grandpa's sitting there, and he's he's never heard the word madrasa before. He's thinking madrasa? That's gotta be a bad thing. That sounds vaguely Muslim. So is, is Obama Muslim? And, of course, this is all implied. Nothing's said. So, you know, the libel is uh, totally deniable, if you will. Deniable, libel. Ooh, that's a good rhyme. I'll have to remember that. Anyway, but uh, so certain outlets are doing that a lot and I feel like, well, you know what? If we're going to have these he said, she said quotes and we're going to talk about uh, how important it is that this guy has gone to this church with this pastor, which to my knowledge has never been uh, ever talked about in any presidential campaign, at least in America. So, my thought is well, you know, if the media is so excited about religion, let's talk about it, you know, because I mean, uh, it's popular right now, and so, you know, we better talk about it or else we'll lose our audience. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, though, um, generally I don't enjoy talking about uh, religious matters uh, because I think everybody has their own beliefs, and I, I don't really think that. It's my job to try to make people think one thing or another. But I do think it's ridiculous to try to boil God down to a two-second soundbite. And so, I'd like to talk a little about it. We're going to hear a little bit from both of the presidential candidates as pastors, um, and I'm going to read larger sections in context so we can get an idea of what was actually said and what was meant, more importantly. Uh, So, tonight we're going to talk about religion, but we're going to talk about it for real. You know, let's talk about it. Let's really talk about them, as, you know, Eddie Murphy would say. Um, So, don't worry, it's not like I'm going to have you guys be like, open your missile to page 578, Ah, you know, it's going to be nothing like that that so here goes god talk with yours truly okay so first off i don't know if you guys have been following the jeremiah wright controversy uh probably you have because whenever you turn on the television they just play the same soundbite over and over anyway um well, uh, I'll just say this real quick I, Personally, I actually think Dr. Wright isn't really that bad a guy I, I've been doing a lot of research, I've been reading about him And to be honest with you, I'd say 98% Of the things he says are really interesting Now, I mean, some may um, Take some umbrage with what he said about um, uh, you know, AIDS being caused uh, or, or at least propagated by the U.S. Government um, I don't know a whole lot about that, but I can tell you There is a really interesting documentary on that Where they do show there is some evidence By the way, that is somewhat compelling. I'm not going to say it's true, I'm just saying it's interesting. And it's called The Origins of AIDS, and it's a documentary, I believe, by Peter Chappelle, and it was first released in 2003. So check that out. But even if you take umbrage with Jeremiah Wright for those things, I, I, honestly, I, I don't know if uh, I would have done what Senator Obama did uh, last Monday, which was to basically say that uh, his relationship with Dr. Wright was um, changed and, and perhaps damaged. Now, <sighs> I realize hindsight is twenty twenty, and, you know, here's a guy like myself, I mean, I've never spent a day in my life doing what Senator Obama's been doing for 16 months, which is campaigning, so what do I know? And, you know, I understand that in a way he wanted to kind of distance himself from this because he was threatening to essentially derail everything positive that he had been accomplishing so far, but... If I think I think if I would have been <laughs> Senator Obama, I would have probably just said, well, you know it's like when you get your grandfather, you know and you know you're at a restaurant and he's and he starts picking his nose and then hes he's t- uh, he, gra- uh, he grabbed the waitress. oh uh, what why did he do that? uh well, he's from a you know he's from a different era you know, but it's true to an extent, you have to love the guy warts at all and and I think um i I think when this all blows over, I think ten or twenty years from now we'll be thinking, yeah, what was the big deal about Dr. Wright? I mean, you know, it seems like everything he said was was actually was actually true, you know, or or, or 98%. So, speaking of Dr. Wright, I was at a bookstore the other day. And man, love bookstores This was Bargain Books um, It's over there in the Fox Valley Mall um, It's kind of one of those no-frills places But the people are really friendly This woman there was really helpful with uh, some stuff I was looking for Anyway, while I was there, I stumbled onto a book uh, Called 9 11 African American Leaders Respond to an American Tragedy And it came out really a few months after 9-11 It's largely community leaders um, Some religious leaders Some just community leaders in general all Afro-American, uh, talking about how they responded to it, what they said to their uh, community afterwards. And sure enough, in there is the famous sermon, now infamous, should I say, sermon by Dr. Jeremiah Hussein Wright. Uh, well, actually, his real name's not Hussein either. Dang it. Why can't all these people we want to demonize just have the same middle name? I mean, wouldn't it be easier? I I think we should pass a law. Anyway, going back to it. But his famous speech, or sermon should I say, was in there. And I thought, this is great. This is going to give me... Man, all this talk, all this time, you know, for like a month and a half now, we've been hearing about how, you know, this is an incredibly evil man. I mean, this is an unbelievably unpatriotic, ungrateful man, uh, perhaps even an uppity man, who... We are just, we're just fed up with this anti-American sentiment from this man and his, his preaching of hatred. And I thought, well, this is my chance to read the entire sermon unadulterated to stare into the face of evil, my friends, and, and really come to grips with this un-American man. So I bought the books. It was three bucks. I mean, heck, how can you go wrong? Three bucks to stare in the face of the evil. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's a no brainer people. Anyway, so I read it and I found out a few interesting things. Um, The first thing I found out is the famous quote that we've been seeing over and over again about goddamn America is actually not in the sermon. And I didn't believe it at first. I thought maybe they cut it out to make them look better. So I did a little research, got on YouTube, watched a few versions of the same sermon. I'll be darned. That line, goddamn America, is not in that sermon. I, that's nowhere here. I, I don't even know when that happened. I, for all I know, they spliced that in from like they had like Sean Hannity do an impression with his voice and just splice it in. For all I know, it, it wasn't on that day. It wasn't on the 16th of September 2001, at any rate. So I was shocked. Okay, this was this was a big surprise to me. Now, people, uh, now, as perhaps our president would say, our esteemed president. Uh, I'm just kind of sitting here imagining what our <laughs> what our president would say. So now, people. I'm just a simple caveman, okay? Now, I don't understand your newfangled technologies and your fancy schmancy things you peoples take for granted, like learning how to spell your own name or learning how to gargle mouthwash or whatever. But seriously, though, apparently this loop, this famous goddamn America loop that we have seen over and over ad infinitum ad nausea, I might add, too. This loop, it wasn't even from that speech. So, uh, apparently they were just cherry-picking it. Now, I'm no Bill O'Reilly, okay? I don't have that level of political acumen, that understanding of the political landscape. Now, Bill O'Reilly, I think, has a much clearer (laughs) and perhaps simpler (laughs) understanding of politics. But... Near as I can tell, they took a line out of a speech and just looped it over and over and over again until they could scare the living crap out of all of white America. So, like I said, uh, throughout the podcast tonight, I'm going to read little sections from Dr. Wright's sermon. Now, and I know, I don't want anybody to think I'm taking stuff out of context, uh, or or, or I'm taking things from different sources. I'm going to take just stuff from the September 16th, 2001 sermon. Just so you guys know, I'm totally on the up and up here. And just for fun, I'm going to also add in a couple of things that I've read recently um, that were said by people who are considered the spiritual advisors of Senator John McCain, who's now running for president and who we affectionately call McCrazy. Anyway, um, so you'll be hearing some stuff by Pat Robertson, some stuff by Jerry Falwell from Rod Paisley, Uh, From John Hagee, and from a a real Peanuts gallery, uh, or should I say Rogues gallery of nutballs. So, I would like to just kind of compare that to actual lines from the Bible, and of course, also the words of Dr. Wright, so that we may, as in the words of the prophet Isaiah, come and reason together. So, Starting off, though, let's get to some music because I've talked too long. Sorry about that. Um, let's hear a new version of Roughly Enforcing Nostalgia's song, Sometimes Life Lessons Suck, because this is a lesson I learn over and over again is that sometimes life lessons suck. <laughs> um, so, this is the new version with new live drums performed by Tom Rebar, who lives just three minutes down the road, and he's an excellent session drummer who's a great guy and, and all that. So, this is Sometimes Life Lessons Suck by Roughly Enforcing Nostalgia.
1: It's lifeless.
0: heard, sometimes life lessons suck by roughly enforcing nostalgia. The classic Sometimes Life Lessons Suck by Roughly Enforcing Nostalgia. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a classic. It's a classic if I say it is, peoples. That's right. I got the microphone. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Got a little authoritarian. A little little Nazi there for a second. Anyway, um, I think it must be all this uh, <clears throat> stuff I've been reading by some of uh, John McCain's spiritual advisors. <laughs> some of that some of that fascism is rubbing off on me here. Um, anyway, uh, well, let's start off with something that um, was said by um, Pastor John Hagee, uh, who is the pastor <laughs> – I almost said he owns <laughs> – he is the pastor of an enormous mega church in Texas. I believe they have 20,000 members, and uh, essentially – I don't think this is too much of an exaggeration to say. He basically tells them how to vote. So he said, vote for John McCrazy. So that's what they're going to do. So let me read you a little something. <clears throat> Let's see if I can find the exact quote here. All right. Uh, and cue the scary music, please. Ah, thank you. Gay marriage will open the door to incest, to polygamy, and every conceivable marriage amendment demented minds can possibly conceive. If God does not then punish America... He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that's Pastor John Hagee. And speaking on that whole divine retribution thing, here's something he said also by John Hagee here. I believe that the Hurricane Katrina was, in fact, the judgment of God against the city of New Orleans. I believe that New Orleans had a level of sin that was offensive to God, and they are and were recipients of the judgment of God for that. There was to be a homosexual parade there on the Monday that Katrina came. And the promise of that parade was that it was going to reach a level of sexuality never demonstrated before in any of the other gay pride parades. The Bible teaches that when you violate the law of God, that God brings punishment, sometimes before the day of judgment. That's Pastor John Hagee on... Um, the God of Jesus on, on the Prince of Peace. Um, before I read to you what Dr. Wright said on the 16th of September, 2001, which I think is an excellent counterpoint, by the way, to this um, ridiculousness that we just heard from Hagee, I want to read something from the Bible, because hey, why not, you know? Both of these guys are <clears throat> supposedly part of the same faith, you know? Um, here's something from Luke 3 the book of Luke. And he's talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. And so, then the crowd says, well, then what now shall we do? And John the Baptist answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And if you have food give to one who has none. So then tax collectors also came to be, to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what should we do? John the Baptist says, don't collect any more than you were required to. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Okay. So, Oh, by the way, that was uh, Johann Sebastian Bach on the organ. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> well, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't actually Bach himself playing the organ because, I mean, obviously, they didn't really have much of the way of recording devices when Bach was doing his doing his thing, you know. But, but that's not important right now. The point is, Bach had beats. Okay, I mean, you hear that? You hear that organ, man? It's like, man, I was like, I mean, he put hooks up in that thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, I was ready to flow over that. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, <clears throat> actually, that's not, the, <laughs> that's not the point either. I'm sorry. Um, going back to the book of Luke. So, basically, what John the Baptist is saying is give to those who don't have anything if you have some you can spare. For instance, uh, if you see somebody who's suffering after Katrina and you have a little money you can give, maybe you send a little money down that way to the Red Cross or or some other charity of the kind. Or maybe you go down there and and donate your time. Um, Or maybe you see somebody who's um, suffering from uh, HIV-AIDS and, uh, for instance, a good part of the continent of Africa is uh, suffering in epidemic proportions. Well, maybe you give a little money to them. Or maybe you donate your time by going down there yourself if you have that interest or have that inclination or have that ability. So, this, I think, is the essence of Christianity. It's not what Hagee says. What Hagee says is ridiculous. It's not even Christ-like. It's, it's bizarre. So, I think if we look at the Gospel of Luke, we're seeing that basically John the Baptist is saying uh, what uh, Camus would say, uh, or, uh, or Camus, <laughs> as, uh, as our esteemed uh, president, uh, W, would say. Yeah, I've been reading some, uh, I read a couple Shakespeare's, and I read a, uh, read a Camus. And then, thank God, there was somebody standing behind him, probably Joe Lieberman, because he's everywhere these days helping people fix their mistakes. He's uh, some guy behind him's like, uh, Camus, sir," and he's like, "Yeah, Camus. I meant Camus said that. (laughs) I'm I'm reading some Camus. Sorry about that." (laughs) And then you know you just cue the uh, (laughs) the quote of uh, Curly from the Three Stooges, and he's like, "Oh, what a narrow escape!" And then he does a little, which I can't really do very well, but you get the idea. (laughs) Anyway, uh, what Albert Camus said. And I think what John the Baptist says here is basically the job of every rational, uh, compassionate, thinking person is to never be on the side of the executioner. And I, I think that is so true. And you know, in fact, speaking of, uh, you know, I think there's a tendency for us to go, "Well, these guys are crackpots, they're nutjobs, they don't, you know, they deserve nothing but our scorn and derision." Well, yeah, that's true. But a lot of people listen to them, and and we have to fight back. We have to say, "No, that's wrong. Those are not." the teachings of Christ. Those are not the teachings of any known religion that I can think of. And, and if we don't speak up, uh, again, it's it's like Camus said, you know, he says, if you keep on excusing, you eventually give your blessing to the slave camp, to cowardly force, to organized executioners, to the cynicism of great political monsters, and you finally hand over your brothers.
2: girl approaching as we're standing over next to the bar and I hear the boys take her home cause she really don't live too far so I say why are you standing there why don't you let me buy you a drink oh nah, no, now now but your short skirt and long hair is slowly setting me up to think my body to my left says she looks like the girl next door I agree, but there is some telling me that she's been in this bar before, yeah. She's a crazy evil woman waving her magic wand, what the boys in the bar call the,
1: the, the dirty Blind. The Dirty Blind. The Dirty Blind. The Dirty
2: Blind. She's the devil's favorite sibling and she likes to lurk out through the crowd. Oh yeah, she seemed really quiet till you take her home and she's way too loud Pillows and sheets, oh my God, I hope this night never ends, yeah I'm not, but she will cheer you up and spit you out and next week she'll be banging your friends She's a crazy evil woman waving her magic wand What the boys in the bar call the dirty Blind Magic wand, what the boys in the bar call they call her the dirty blind the dirty blind the dirty
0: Pretty Blonde by Mike Nutt. Uh, You know what? Actually, they have a new band name, but I've forgotten it. Dang it. I'm so sorry, Mike. Um, (laughs) You guys were over here the other day. You told me it was like, what was it? Uh, Mike Nutt and the Decepticons. It was a really good name, man. I really liked it. And you were supposed to email me and tell me. So shame on you, sir. Shame on you, Mike Nutt. Anyway, great song, though. And that is the new band mix. And that's with kind of an alternative mix, actually, which I don't believe they'll end up doing on the album. So, in a sense, you're hearing it really exclusively here. It had a little cool slide guitar part that didn't make the final cut. They dug it, but just there's so much happening there, they decided to get past it. So, anyway, now that you've heard the craziness of Pastor John Hagee of Texas, the Lone Star State, uh, maybe it's time for us to hear the the words of um, Dr. Wright, who apparently is an America hater, but I think once you hear this, you, you may change your mind like I did. Um... So, with that in mind, let's take a listen and see what Dr. Wright said on the 16th of September 2001. Now, the interesting thing to me about this sermon is that, um, first of all, he talks about vengeance, and he talks about how uh, incredibly uh, stupid and cyclical revenge is. But then he goes on and says that 9-11, this tragedy is a chance for us to each personally think about ourselves. So, instead of blaming other people, instead of saying, well, Katrina, uh, it was violence because God didn't like their sins or whatever, he says, all these tragedies in our lives are an opportunity for us to reflect on ourselves. He doesn't blame others. He thinks, what can we do to learn about ourselves? Uh, In the sermon, Dr. Wright is spotlighting a particular psalm, uh, Psalm 137, and he says, um... There's a move in Psalm 137 From the thoughts of paying tithes Or reverence To the thoughts of payback A move, if you will From worship to war A move, in other words From the worship of the God of creation To war against those whom God created And he says that Psalm 137 Is especially good Because it spotlights the insanity Of the cycle of violence And the cycle of hatred Those are his words He says that, my beloved Is a dangerous place to be Yet that is where the people of faith were in 551 BC, and that is where far too many people of faith are in 2001 AD. We want paybacks, and we don't care who gets hurt in the process. But violence begets violence, hatred begets hatred, and terrorism begets terrorism. What should our response be right now in light of such an unthinkable act? I asked the Lord that question. What should our response be? And the Lord said, This ain't the time for you to be examining other folks' relationships. This is the time of self-examination. This is a time for me to examine my relationship with God. This is a time, in light of the unbelievable tragedies, this is a time to examine my relationship with my family. Self-examination.
3: This morning train is like a dream Memories are flashing by Close my mind to catch a glimpse of your eyes All these thoughts are running wild I need to find a thought of you Are you on the other
1: side? Do you know where I've gone? Can you see where I've been? Do you know that I've been trying to find you lately?
3: Another day has passed me by Another moment slips away is
0: Park doing Finding a Way Out. And before that, that was also June Park doing Trying to Find You Lately. So we have some some songs about searching, and uh, I think that's uh, uh, just perfect for the uh, theme of, of what we just heard Dr. Wright say about self-examination. So... Uh, Not blaming other people, but uh, using tragedy as as a chance to uh, look inside ourselves and and hopefully learn something and become hopefully better people. Um, So, moving on and talking about blaming and talking about idiots blaming people. Yeah, you know, let's just put it out there. Idiots. Yeah, they're idiots. Um, I've got a little quote from Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell, which was said actually very close to around the same time that uh, Dr. Wright gave his sermon on the 16th of September, 2001. Uh, Let's see if I can find it here. Okay, yeah, this is from, actually from the 13th, so three days before uh, Dr. Wright gave his uh, very uh, eloquent sermon. Uh, Jerry Falwell is on the Pat Robertson show at 700 Club, and he says, this is a transcript here, uh, yeah, what we saw on Tuesday, as terrible as it was, could be minuscule if, in fact, if, in fact, God continues to lift the curtain and allow the enemies of America to give us probably what we deserve. Probably what we deserve? Hmm. Just for a second, I, it sounded vaguely like maybe he was saying that God was damning America. I'm not sure. This could be just my interpretation. Anyway, so Pat Robertson, <laughs> says, go, 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 go. he says, Jerry, that's my feeling. I think we've just been seeing the antechamber of terror. We haven't even begun to see what they can do to the major population. Jerry Falwell, brilliantly as ever, says, The ACLU's got to take a lot of the blame for this. Pat Robertson says, Well, yeah, yes. Jerry Falwell says, And I know that I'll hear from from them for this, but throwing God out successfully with the help of the federal court system, throwing God out of the public square, out of the schools, the abortionists have got to bear some burden for this because God will not be mocked. And when we destroy 40 million little innocent babies, we make God mad. I really believe that the pagans, the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, the people for the American way, all of them who have tried to secularize America, I point the finger in their face and I say, you help this happen. And Pat Robertson says, well, yeah, I totally concur. <clears throat> wow. Wow. Amazing. Uh, What can you say after hearing such ridiculousness? Uh, Well, how about the words of Christ? (laughs) Here's something from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. Oregon. As they went along Jericho Road, Jesus saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, for him to have been born blind? Jesus says, well, neither he nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that the works of God may be displayed in him. So, basically what John is saying here is that there is no um, ultimate causality, I guess. Maybe if you're a philosophy student, you would use that term. Um, uh, Or or anybody who's just seen the uh, second Matrix movie. Uh, (laughs) You know, stuff with the Merovingian and the restaurant. (laughs) It is, of course, the way of all things. You
4: see, there is only one constant.
5: Causality. Action.
0: Reaction. Cause and effect. Ah, that's great stuff. Anyway, um, so anybody uh, who knows about that will understand what I mean by, uh, you know, causality. Um, there, there is no ultimate reason for every possible thing that happens. And so when something like 9-11 happens, obviously there are people responsible. But it's not the ACLU. It's not the gays. It's not people who are different than us who we don't understand or maybe we haven't taken the time to ever learn anything about or ever bother to befriend It's not these people is Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell were the two biggest religious leaders to endorse George W. Bush's first and second terms as president. Now, I mean, the first one, okay, fine. You know, they said some crazy stuff, but, you know, technically 9-11 happened after his first term had begun. What about the second term? Where is the righteous indignation of Fox News now? Where are the clips Loop over and over saying the aclu is to blame for 9-11 where is these loops where are they i don't know they don't exist apparently fox news believes being fair and balanced doesn't involve showing white pastors saying crazy crap i don't know weird or if you want to hear another quote how about this one um it is god who gave us liberty Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Now, that was said by Thomas Jefferson, okay? Um, And that is actually on the Jefferson Memorial. You can actually go there and just check out the stones and it's actually, you know, carved in there. So, if Jefferson who at the time was commenting about uh, the slave trade in America and saying how unjust it was. Now, if Thomas Jefferson, the, the founder of our country, says that God may indeed punish us, then where's the controversy here? Uh, you know, why is it that we don't hear clips of uh, Thomas Jefferson over and over and over again, other than the fact that <laughs> there's no video cameras there at the time? Uh, <laughs> but seriously, uh, what is the difference between Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, and Thomas Jefferson on one side— Oof, I shudder at the thought of those three together in the same room. Anyway, um, what's the difference between them on one side and Dr. Wright on the other, other than the fact that um, Dr. Wright is black and the other three are white? You know, actually, I think I may have just answered my own question. Um, <laughs> okay, never mind then. Or, here's something Dr. Wright said. September 16th, 2001. The same sermon as before now. Uh, now, he's talking about how the fact that he was in New Jersey uh, doing a speech... On the day of 9-11. And he says, As soon as the first plane hit the World Trade Center, I called home, and I called my mother. But my mother's phone was busy, and then the thought hit me. Suppose you could never talk to her again. What is the quality of your relationship between you and your family? When is the last time you took the time to say to your family, Honey, I love you. And then the family thought led me to my extended family and my church family. He says, I have two deacons. When they realized that I could not fly home, Two deacons got in a car and drove 12 straight hours, put my bags in the trunk, put me in the back seat, turned right around and drove back 12 hours because they loved me. I want to turn to them and I want to let them know I love you, I love you, I love you, I thank God for you. Turn back and tell your neighbor one more time, I love you. This is what a church family is, the beloved community, a community of love. Fights, yes. Disagreements, yes. Falling outs, yes different viewpoints yes doctrinal disputes yes but love that is of God and given by God who loved us so much that while we were yet sinners God gave God's son rather than give up on us
1: I don't know how to tell you forgive me as I try I'm calling out through mass confusion devoid of peace of mind I've got to find you, I've got to find you a rich too lonely, I've got to search for you I've got to know you, I've got to know you I've got to go to you and see what I've been missing I'm tired of pretending and wasting so much time this worldly way so never ending a long hard road to ride I've gotta find you I've gotta find you or it's too lonely I've gotta search for you.
0: Heard you by Starway, and that is a new improved mix that uh, they recently completed. And then before that, you heard "Got to Find You," which uh, I thought was not only it's a great song, but it's a it's very appropriate in keeping with the whole idea of searching, as uh, June Park had done on his last two songs. So I figured it, let's segue it nicely into "Got to Find You" by Starway. So uh, let's move on and listen to uh, one last group of quotes by some of Senator McCrazy's spiritual advisors. These are some quotes of theirs on the subject of terrorism, because <laughs> clearly they're experts. Um, <clears throat> First one is Pastor John Hagee, which he wrote in his book, which you can buy anywhere, by the way. The book is called What Every Man Wants in a Woman. So, clearly he's an expert on this. He's, the guy's like freaking Hugh Hefner or something over here. Anyway, here's a quote he said in this book. Do you know the difference between a woman with PMS and a snarling Doberman Pinscher? The answer is lipstick. Ha. Ho. Do you know the difference between a terrorist and a woman with PMS? You can negotiate with a terrorist. Ha, ha, ho. Wow, this guy's a card. Uh, Here's something else that Hagee said on the subject of Muslims and terrorism. He says the Quran teaches that all Muslims have a mandate to kill Christians and Jews. Yes, it teaches it very clearly. Well, actually, no, it doesn't. I will prove that in a moment. But first, let's hear a word from Rod Parsley, who's uh, <clears throat> actually McCain's personal pastor. Rod Parsley. This is in a book he wrote also in 2005 called Silent No More, which is also available to buy anywhere. Go on Amazon. You can find it. Silent No More by Rod Parsley. Yeah, like the garnish, the little thing on the plate you just throw off as soon as the food comes. Yeah, it's kind of how I feel about him. Anyway, <laughs> here's what he says. I cannot tell you how important it is that we understand the true nature of Islam, that we see it for what it really is. In fact, I will tell you this. I do not believe our country can truly fulfill its divine purpose until we understand our historical conflict with Islam. I know that this statement sounds extreme, but I do not shrink from its implications. The fact that America was founded in part with the intention of seeing this false religion destroyed And I believe September 11, 2001, was a generational call to arms that we can no longer ignore. Well, first of all, I don't remember the pilgrims and other Mennonites, uh, Shakers, other groups like that. I don't remember those pacifists when they first landed at Plymouth Rock and places like that. I don't remember them saying, let's set up a country, let's set up a little colony here, because eventually... Something might happen where some towers might get hit and we'll have to declare a war on Muslims. So, let's just set this up now, just on the off chance that might happen. I don't remember that being anywhere in the uh, Mayflower Compact. So, I gotta cry bullshit on that. So, uh, secondly, the idea that somehow the Quran has more exhortations to kill than the Bible? Hmm. The theory that Muslims somehow have more of a divine uh, <clears throat> guidance in their holy book, to kill than we Christians or Jews. Well, that's just ridiculous. There are some interesting things. Here's a passage I really enjoy. And Allah spake unto Muhammad, saying, Avenge my people against the Midianites. Afterward shalt thou be gathered unto my people. And Muhammad spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge Allah against Midian." And of every tribe a 1,000, throughout all the peoples of Allah, shall ye send to the war. So there were delivered out of the thousands of the people of Allah, thousands of every tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Muhammad sent them to war, and they warred against the Midianites. And Allah commanded Muhammad, and they slew all the males. And the people of Allah took all the women of Midian captives, and their children, and they burnt all their cities. And then Muhammad became enraged with the officers. And Muhammad said unto them, "Have ye saved all the women alive? Now, therefore, kill every male among the children, and kill every woman that hath known man by lying with him. But all the women, children that are virgins, keep alive for yourselves." Uh, okay. So they basically killed every man in the tribe. They they committed genocide. Now I have to admit I'm I'm kind of being a little disingenuous here. I, I didn't tell the whole truth. That's actually not from the Quran. That's actually from uh, the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. That's uh, Numbers 31, <clears throat> one of the first five books of Moses. And um, I just kind of changed the names to uh, protect the guilty. So, uh, so just change the name Allah to Yahweh. And then um, you replace Muhammad with Moses and the people of God with the children of Israel. So, you can see there's a lot of violent crap going around in all the holy books here. There's always a quote that people like Rod Parsley and John Hagee always quote from the Quran. And it bothers the crap out of me because it's just one part of a larger quote which they're cutting up. So they're essentially pulling a Fox News here. I mean, old Rod Parsley is basically using just a small segment from a verse instead of doing the whole thing. He's just replaying goddamn America over and over again. But in this case, it's just a quote from the Quran. So let me read you the quote. And then I'll tell you where normally Rod Parsley and John Hagee and those guys stop. And then I'll read you the rest. And hopefully that will help illuminate things. Okay. Here's the Quran. Fight in the cause of Allah those who fight you, but do not transgress limits, for Allah loves not transgressors, and kill them wherever you catch them, and drive them out from whence they drove you out. For terrorism was worse than killing. And if they cease, Allah is all-forgiving and most merciful, and combat them on until there's no more terrorism or oppression, and there prevail justice and faith in Allah. But if they cease, don't let there be hostility except to those who practice oppression. Now, that's the second chapter of the Quran, and it's it's very popularly uh, quoted, the first part of it. Uh, again, I, I think it's probably about as far as Rod Parsley ever got. He, j- he just got to the second chapter, uh, <laughs> and then he was like, oh, that's it. I, that's it. Maybe he was too busy reading Camus, you know, something that like Camus, you know, that the president lacks, you know. But actually, I suspect he probably didn't read it at all. Um, he probably had some... Guy did a little Google search, and that was the best they found. Now, obviously, this is a more modern translation. I mean, terrorism is a more modern word. Uh, in the Shakir translation, I believe they say persecution or persecutor. Or in the um, Yusufali version, they say tumult and oppression. So, the important thing to remember here is this is not about killing people for the difference of faith. That is not expressly given the green light in um, in Surah two, in chapter two of the Quran. What is given the green light is when an occupying force or an oppressor is uh, persecuting your faith. That's intriguing, I think. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. The Quran has many, many wacky things in it, too, which are very difficult to defend. But seriously, though, more than the Hebrew scriptures? No, Pastor Hagee, no, Rod Parsley no you not jobs. And with that, here's a perfect little rebuttal from Dr. Wright on September 16, 2001. He says, "Then the Lord showed me that this is not only a time for self-examination, but this is also a time for social transformation. This is going to be the hardest step we have to take. But now is the time for social transformation. We've got to change the way we have been doing things. We've got to change the way we have been doing things as a society." Social transformation. We have got to change the way we have been doing things as a country. Social transformation. We've got to change the way we have been doing things as an arrogant, racist, military superpower. Social transformation. We can't just keep messing over people and thinking that can't nobody do nothing about it. They've shown us that they can and that they will. Social transformation. Transformation. When I went down to the river,
4: when I went down to the river, when I went down to the river. Get claro. out I see? Obscene, be obscene, baby, and not a day that I love Opened our eyes, we watch the world, and we have our places. a mob scene, I know it isn't your scene, it's better than a sex scene, and it's so i be, be. obscene, am seeing, be, obscene, baby. And I hurt.
0: That was Mob Scene by Gary Landis. That's a cover, actually, of a Marilyn Manson song. And it's a great cover. It's so totally, totally different. And, and Gary knows what I'm talking about because we just had this conversation the other day about how awesome it is to transform something from one song in a cover and just make it totally your own, totally separate. And I think Gary did just that. And in a sense, it's a form of social transformation as well, as, Jeremy, uh, as Jeremiah writes. Hmm. Good segue, Dan. Nicely done. You get another cracker. No, anyway. um, (laughs) Seriously, though. um, Before that, you heard Redemption, which is one of my absolute favorite songs by Gary. And uh, that's actually uh, me from Roughly Enforcing the Stout, just singing little backups in there. Not that the stuff I did was all that, you know. Actually, the song is what's really the thing. That is an absolutely excellent song. One of my absolute favorites from Gary. And he's got so many good new songs out right now. Well... Moving from that, after we've heard all these comments by who I would call false leaders, I would call, in many ways, cult leaders, um, I would like to turn to a reading from the second letter of Peter. (laughs) Okay, so here's what Peter said about false prophets. As there were false prophets in the past history of our people, so you too will have false teachers. Who will insinuate their own disruptive views. They will eagerly try to buy you for themselves with insidious speech. All the same, these people who only insult anything that they do not understand. And they amuse themselves, deceiving you even when they are your guests and a meal. Greed is the one lesson their minds have learned. Okay, so that's Peter. (laughs) Good old Pete. (laughs) Uh, Basically saying that false prophets will always be among us. And I think that's true. Uh, I think it's it's obvious that at this point we've lost um, in Iraq, and I think it was obvious the minute that we as a people stopped thinking about bringing democracy and started talking about containment, and started talking about hundred more years, and we started attempting to fix blame on certain people who we felt were not patriotic enough by our bizarre, ever changing standards. I think that was when we knew we failed. Uh, for instance, I got a great letter the other day from Troy. Uh, Troy Sterling Um, He's an excellent composer. He wrote me something and he said he really enjoyed the podcast. And he said, uh, The only thing about the Middle East, though, and I know I believe you've touched on it in one of your other podcasts, is that indeed the war in the Middle East is a catastrophe. At this point, Iraq is the least of our worries and a colossal waste of lives, resources, money, etc. Our real problem lies in Afghanistan. And our efforts should be focused there. Just my two cents. Nice podcast. So, thanks, Troy. Thanks for saying that. I think that's very true. And um, so, in closing, I think I would like to uh, read one more thing by uh, Dr. Wright. Now, this is the uh, part of the speech that you may have heard a a tiny bit of it used. And this, I, I, I think after we've heard all the other things in the sermon, we'll understand better what he means. We took this country by terror, away from the Sioux, the Apache, the Comanche, and the Navajo. Terrorism. We took Africans from their country to build our way of ease and kept them enslaved and living in fear. Terrorism. We bombed Grenada, killed innocent civilians, babies, non-military personnel. We bombed the black civilian community of Panama, with stealth bombers, and killed unarmed teenagers and toddlers, pregnant mothers, and hard-working fathers. We bombed Gaddafi's home and killed his daughter. We bombed Iraq. We killed unarmed civilians trying to make a living. We bombed a plant in Sudan as payback for an attack on our embassy. Killed hundreds of hardworking people, mothers and fathers, who left home to go out that day not knowing they'd never get back. We bombed Hiroshima. We bombed Nagasaki. And we nuked far more than the thousands who died in the New York and the Pentagon explosions. And we never batted an eye. Kids playing in the playground. Mothers picking up children after school. Civilians, not soldiers. People just trying to make it day by day. We have supported state terrorism against the Palestinians and the black South Africans, and now we are indignant because the stuff we have done overseas is now brought right back into our own front yards. America's chickens are coming home to roost. I heard Ambassador Peck on an interview yesterday. Did anybody else see him or hear him? He was on Fox News. This is a white man. And he was upsetting the Fox News commentators to no end. He said, America's chickens are coming home to roost. And you know what's amazing to me is that when you, when you hear this speech in this context, when you hear this sermon, and then you hear the words of somebody like uh, Ambassador Peck, who he had mentioned was on the Fox News, when you, when you actually track down the video and listen to what Ambassador Peck has to say, and when you listen to uh, the words of Senator Obama, And you listen to the words of uh, Senator uh, Ron Paul. Yes, that Ron Paul, the Republican. Yes, even him. And when you hear the words of Senator Joe Biden, and and you hear the words of President uh, Carter, and you hear all these people who have actually been to the Middle East and who understand what it's like to be oppressed and to understand that resentment that builds up. And when you hear these people who are actual experts, not faux experts like uh, Senator McCain, somebody who can't even get al-Qaeda and terrorists straight in his vocabulary, when you hear these things, you see a complex and amazingly symmetrical picture developing. And we see that these people who have spoken out are the real patriots. These are the ones who have put their careers on the line and have been called all manner of things by people who, who, uh, who don't deserve to hold their coats, you know. People who put all their stock in material objects and totems like flag pins. These people who have spoken out are the real patriots, not these folks in air-conditioned offices uh, sending our men and women to die. Uh, I'm reminded of a, a great lyric by Bob Dylan. He wrote in 1983, um, On an album called Infidels. Infidels is all about the Middle East and about uh, Israel's precarious relationship, not just with the the rest of the Middle East, but with uh, America and uh, I guess Christianity, all of us, I guess. And there's a great lyric that Bob Dylan wrote in a song called Foot of Pride. Uh, Foot of Pride is actually a line from a psalm of David. But in the song, Bob Dylan says, They kill babies in the crib and say only the good die young. They don't believe in mercy judgment on them is something that we'll never see. They can exalt you up or bring you down bankrupt and turn you into anything they want you to be.
5: I've walking in the wasted city Started thinking about entropy Smell the wind from the ruins river Went home to watch TV And it's worse when I try to breathe I think about then and now I'd rather see it on the at a 11 Sit back and watch it
1: run straight down Run straight down
0: that was run straight down by Roughly Enforcing Nostalgia and uh, that was actually another cover, much like Mob Scene, but that was actually originally sung by the late Warren Zevon, who was uh, also in many ways uh, a great patriot and uh, admirer of freedom and a guy who did speak out quite a bit (laughs) against uh, the powers Um, so may he rest in peace uh, I just like to end. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks a ton for listening. I'm sorry this one went on so long. I guess I should have known it when I was looking at the notes. I'm like, oh god, well, that was gonna be a lot of stuff here. But I don't know. I, I just didn't have any realistic expectations about how long it's gonna really be. But thanks again for listening. Um, and I appreciate all the letters and comments. And please keep them coming. You know, if you say something interesting, if you have a recommendation, I, I'd love to talk about it on here. Um, whatever. Um. So I'd like to leave you with uh, another statement uh, Which is at the end of um, Dr. Wright's sermon And he says This is not just a time for social transformation But it is also a time for spiritual adoration In other words, this is a time to say Thank you, Lord This is the day that the Lord has made I will rejoice and be glad in it I may not have tomorrow So I'm going to take this time on this day today To say, thank you, Lord Thank you for my life You didn't have to let me live Thank you for my blessings. I could have been on one of those planes. I could have been in downtown New York or a few blocks from the Pentagon. But for whatever reason, you let me be here. So while I'm here, I'm going to take the opportunity to adore you and to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the lives of those who are lost. Thank you for the way in which they touched our lives and the way in which they have blessed other lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for another chance to say thank you.